0: Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And in today's episode, we're talking with Bob Serling. Bob is a 30-year marketing veteran. He's the founder of Profit Alchemy Inc. And he's got a really innovative take on marketing and, and it's helped hundreds of clients get exceptional results from their marketing. And uh, we were just talking before we started recording that I, actually I'm one of them. I, I got one of Bob's programs years and years and years ago. It was the first thing I ever learned on copywriting. So, uh, so we can blame him. If you read my emails, you can blame him. Uh, but uh, Bob's been uh, the monthly marketing columnist for Success Magazine. He invented a skateboard toy featuring Tony Hawk and, and Tony's branding. Um, he's just done all kinds of really amazing and interesting things. And and I think what he's probably best known for is really revolutionizing the process of structuring joint ventures by changing the focus from this reciprocal agreement strategy that's been out there and really flipped it and created a one-sided emphasis. And so uh, I'm really excited to, to talk with Bob today. Bob, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO.
1: Hey, Steve, thanks a lot. And thanks for a, a wonderful introduction.
0: Well, you know, you've done so many different things. Um, you built multiple businesses. And um, I'd love for you to just take a minute and take us beyond the bio and, and give everybody a little bit of context for what kind of got you to this point in your career.
1: OK, well, um, I, I get bored easily. You know, I, I love inventing things. And whether that's a physical product or uh, a new way to do joint ventures, a new way to structure marketing. Um, I was involved, one of the the products that I co-invented with a couple partners, I had a brilliant partner who was the head of the Graduate School of Education at UCLA. And uh, it's amazing that I was his partner because I barely got out of high school, literally. I, I barely graduated. But um, it was just so interesting. It was a totally different way of learning. And so I'm always interested in unique approaches to things. And I think that's really served me well Um, because and that kind of ties into licensing and joint ventures where you can collaborate with others to get a lot of the work done um, because I I love creating the ideas, but then I like to hand them off to somebody else. I'm not the kind of person who does really well working on the same project over and over and over for years. And sometimes that's served me well and sometimes it's worked against me. But uh, I think it's really important to recognize what your personality is and, and, you know, the way you work best and the way you enjoy working best and be able to build that into your business and your lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I think actually that's hugely important. Um, and and honestly, I think most people go around and they don't recognize that in themselves. They try and fit themselves into a model that somebody else has for them. And, and, uh, and so I think recognizing that's a huge strength actually.
1: Um, yeah, I think we're taught to, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, you know, education, the education system does the best it can, but it works best with standardized testing and putting people into certain buckets. And so people grow up thinking, well, I fit in this bucket. And I don't feel very good in this bucket. I'm not comfortable in this bucket. And then when you go against it, especially in the school system, you're punished for it. Mm -hmm. As I well know, (laughs) hardly getting out of high school. You know, uh, I was interested in a lot of different things and that my teachers didn't like that at all. And then I, I, growing up in Detroit, I then became very interested in the jazz and blues clubs and spent more time there than I did in the classroom in high school. And that's why I barely got out. But As long as you're trying to stay in a predefined bucket, I found that it's very difficult to get a lot of, you know, a lot of juice out of what you're doing. So, yeah, I
0: I think I think that's absolutely true. So over the years, as you've built the different businesses that you've been involved with, as you've developed these ideas and and uh, and worked with folks to pass them off. I'm sure that didn't all go perfectly smoothly right it never does so well, no of course it did it was just an escalator to the top <laughs> okay wait well let's do the, we'll do two versions of this right first tell us the Facebook version like if you were gonna create a yeah, post on correct. Facebook right, <laughs> right. there's that's the perfect good, yeah. version and yeah, then we the can get into reality <laughs> so what are some of the ways that you've found that you know when things didn't go right what did you do how did you overcome that
1: well, I think basically I've always taken the approach of okay so you know there's that old saying I guess Einstein came up with it if you keep doing the same thing over and over again you'll just get the same results and that's absolutely true but I think the corollary to that is is what I kind of touched on before If you just keep following the same rules and the same directions you're told to, you'll go where everybody else goes. So I've always kind of challenged that, and that helped me a lot. So I think the earliest example of it was I was in my early 20s probably, and um, I was actually working as a project manager manager for big software projects, for big companies like Honda Motors and Princess Cruises. And I hated every minute of it. I just didn't enjoy it except that it paid really well. Um, so I, I was always looking around for things. And I came across this book by Melvin Powers called How to Get Rich in Mail Order. Mm. And I'm reading it and it's kind of interesting, but it's also like kind of sleazy. But within that book, he recommended, he said, well, if you're going to get rich in mail order, you have to be able to write great ads. And the book I recommend is How to Write a a Good Advertisement. I think that's the title of it by Victor Schwab. So I bought that book and I read it and it was fantastic. It was very ethical and it was very was about connecting with your audience in, in a very authentic way and respecting your audience, kind of the opposite of how to get rich in mail order. <laughs> so I decided, well, to heck with mail order. I, I want to be a copywriter. So uh, I and a friend of mine who lived across the street from me was an executive at a big ad agency. And I went over and I was talking to him. I said, hey, you know, I want to be a copywriter. Can you introduce me around or can, you know, can I, get some work from your agency. He said, ah, you're never going to be a copywriter because you don't have a book. I said, what's a book? He said, well, it's a book of all the examples you've done for big accounts. And you have to have a book for somebody to consider you. And I said, well, maybe so, but I'm going to try it on my own. So I'm, I'll try to make this as brief as I can. My background, as I said, was in technology and, and uh, with, with banks and auto companies and that. And so I understood technology and I understood finance. And this was, you know, the internet wasn't that new at the time, been around, you know, maybe five years. People weren't really conversant in it. And technology was confusing to a lot of people. So I ran a little two page classified ad in a publication called Ad Week, which is where advertising copywriters put out their plaque sort of, you know, hung their shingle and it basically said something like, um, uh, are you sick of copywriters who don't know the difference between a potato chip and a microchip? <laughs> if so, I can help. And so it generated a lot of interest, but my friend was right. Most people wouldn't hire me because I didn't have any prior experience but I always told them, look, I'll work for 20% of going rate or whatever, just to get my foot in the door, and I will work my butt off for you. So I got a company to take me up on it. And I think they paid me $75 to write an ad that would normally go for about $1,500 at the time. And the guy, was, he was just kind of nasty. He <laughs> was really taking advantage of me. But I didn't care because it was for a big national client. So I wrote the ad. It went really well. And they then came back to me and they said, wow, that was so good. We're going to pay you 250 for the next ad, which was again, a quarter the percent. But this one was for a subsidiary of Bank of America. Again, a really big national client. And I didn't care. So I took the 250 I wrote the ad. Now I had a book. It was a very thin book, but it was two successful ads. So I didn't. What I'm getting at is I've never just followed the black and white roadmap. Well, this is how you do it. You have to have a book. Well, you've got to create a book somehow. But what I realized, I just looked in my background and I thought, well, what advantage do I have that agencies or businesses need? And that is that I understood technology and finance whereas most copywriters didn't. So I used that as a little lever to get in. And I've kind of always done things that way. Uh, And I think that was the main thing I discovered that is when you're up against a big problem, there's almost always a doorway into the solution. You just have to look for it and you have to find it. Um, And a lot of times it helps to, talk to other people to find that. And the other thing that's helped me immensely over the years is collaboration. I think on every big project that I've ever been successful at, I collaborated with somebody. So the, the skateboard toy that had Tony Hawk's logo and the logos of six other big skateboard brands on it, I had never invented a toy in my life. I wasn't known in the toy industry. I wasn't known in the skateboard industry. But I had a marketing background. I thought, well, how do I get my invention license? And I realized that where most inventors go wrong, see, only 2% of all products that are patented ever make it to market because the inventors focus on the wrong thing. They focus on patents and protecting their idea because they're terrified that somebody will steal their horrible idea. But I realized that if I could prove that there's a, a market of people wanting to buy the product beforehand and then went to a toy company, we could sell it. So long story short, I made a really cheap cruddy prototype that I made by cutting up parts of other toys with a Dremel and glued them together. It cost me about 31 bucks. I took them around to skateboard shops and toy stores and said, hey, if I can get a company to license this, would you buy it? And about, I think we got like eight out of 10 stores said, yeah, we would. But then I, I also wanted to have a contact in the skateboard industry, and I live in San Diego, which is a hotbed of skateboarding. So I just sent out an email to all my friends, neighbors, and business contacts in San Diego only, and I said, do you know anybody who works professionally in the skateboard industry? Twenty minutes later, one of my neighbors sent me an email and said, well, my son goes to school with uh, the son of Tony Hawk's business partner. Would you like to meet him? Well, of course I would. So he introduced me, and we had lunch. I showed him the toy. He loved the idea, and we partnered on it, and I gave him a third. Well, his name was really well-known in the industry. He was also a commentator for the X Games with ESPN and did the commentary with Tony. And so he got right into a company, and 20 minutes later, we, we got in based on his reputation and his name in the industry. I would have had a very difficult time getting in on my own. So collaboration was really important. And he's a great guy, too. And then the strength of the idea, when I presented them with the names of the companies who, who wanted to buy the product, it was real easy for them to verify it. In fact, I don't know if they even ever did verify it because I'd be an idiot to give them these names and have even one of them be false. So we walked out of that meeting 20, 30 minutes later with a letter of intent. And then in a week, we had the licensing agreement done. So I think not blindly following the rules and collaboration have been the two things that have worked best for me whenever I'm in a spot and I feel stuck or there's something new and I want to not move forward linearly, linearly, but be able to leap over it. And collaboration has been, to me, it's just been uh, the greatest tool for, for making exponential advances rather than just step by step.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I think that's an overlooked leverage point. For most business owners, I mean, they'll, you know, as we're talking with, even with some of our clients, you know, they'll say, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. And, and the answer is usually not more than an email or a few phone calls away because yeah. there's somebody who does have it or has exactly. access to it
1: exactly that
0: you got a relationship with and you probably don't know that they have it. And, and, uh, it's just a matter of getting out there and having those conversations with people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I've always used that same approach of just, okay, I'm, I don't have this skill or I don't have this access path. Who do I know? And then I just email those people. And it's absolutely amazing some of the results that come up. Um, when I took a break for a couple of years and started a software company with a couple of partners, And it was um, testing and assessment software for the online training industry. Again, we sent out an email to everybody we knew. Who do you know who works in the training industry for a Fortune 500, in the training department for a Fortune 500 company? Well, it turned out that our webmaster's secretary saw it, and she had a connection with the secretary of education, and we got an introduction there. And somebody else introduced us to the head of online training uh, at Deloitte Consulting. And they loved what we were doing. And they become our became our champion and introduced us all over the place to Ford Motors and IBM and all these companies. And we were just this little three-person shop, you know, that nobody'd ever heard of. But we had. Uh, again, a, a great model that demonstrated what the software did, but it was all through collaboration. It was, it was um, you know, that was, that's always been the avenue I've used to get, um, as I said, just to move forward exponentially instead of step by step.
0: Well, one of the things that that I like, going back to, to the example that you gave with the, the skateboarding toy, you know not only did you you go and use collaboration to find the right person to open that up but it sounds like you also realized that if you let that you know let them in let that that key contact in so that they profited from this as well that you know now you've got them on your side and they're winning and you're winning and instead of you trying to kind of hoard the whole thing and maybe settling for a really small pie you went and shared some of that and, and really expanded it out.
1: Yeah, because, and that's a great point. So the company that we licensed it to was doing about $100 million a year in business, which is actually small in the toy industry, but it's still sizable I and mean, it's a good sized company. But, you know, so I could have had 100% of a deal with a company that's new, maybe making $5 million a year, Or I got two-thirds of the royalties from a $100 million company. And I met a great guy. I've done other projects with him over the years, too. And I got access into both the skateboard industry and the toy industry that I would have just taken me years to do on my own. I would have made less money, and it would have taken a lot more time. So why not be? And I believe in being very generous and sharing Sharing the, the portions as well. Um, and
0: I was just going to say, I think that that's a, that's a little bit of an unusual approach. I mean, I think a lot of business owners will look at that and, and not only will they want to protect their intellectual property, but they'll also want to hold on tight to the, the profits and the proceeds. And, um, and I think both of those can be really, really dangerous. I mean, so many ideas get trapped because they're a secret you know, it's like, I got this really great idea. I'm not going to tell anybody. Well, what's the point of that?
1: Yeah. And that's what happens. That's why only 2% of patented inventions ever go to market because they were done in a vacuum. The person was so protective of it. They wouldn't tell anybody. So they never got any accurate feedback as to whether or not the idea is good or not. You know, it's, um, well, I've invented shoes with a built-in mouse trap so I can walk around the garage and catch mice if there's mice in my garage. Well, okay, great. Now you you paid $10,000 to patent it. You've paid another 15 to 20,000 to make this fully functional prototype, but nobody cares about it because nobody's going to buy it, you know, so yeah. it's just it's it's pretty amazing, but the patent attorneys make a lot of money <laughs> well you know very they, well- they
0: always do and and uh yeah. that's what i love about about uh, all the attorneys that, that listen and all of our attorney clients they, they get it both ways well yeah. um brilliant stuff we're going to be right back with more from bob serling so hang on Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Hey, welcome back to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. This is Steve Gordon, and I'm here talking with Bob Serling. And um, and Bob, I appreciate the insights that you shared in the first part of the interview. Um, the, the critical role of, of collaboration, I think it's one that's really overlooked. I think um, for most businesses, no matter what problem that you come across, you're probably no more than an email or a phone call away from solving it. And I know you've spent an awful lot of time working on the, you know, kind of perfecting the model of joint ventures. Uh, what what have you found is really the key to, to making those sorts of relationships work?
1: Well, the key, again, kind of goes back to what we touched on, which to me is collaboration. Uh, because the big problem with the conventional way that people are taught to do joint ventures is they said, well, You know, put together a great pitch for your product and send it out to the 10 top people in your industry and ask them to sell your product and show them why it's great. And you get zero response because, number one, those companies are getting 100 emails like that a month, sometimes 100 a week. They have no time to read them. They have no time to do the diligence to find out if your product is what it claims it is and your reputation is as good as you claim it is. Secondly, even if they did look at it, you're saying, I'll sell your product to my list too. Well, yeah, how big's your list? Well, it's 2,000 people and the big company you approach, theirs is 180,000. There's that massive disparity. What What is the attraction to them? There isn't. And then there's always the issue of if I don't know you, and this is the most critical issue, if I don't know you, how do I know I'm going to get paid? So those three issues create so much friction that, well, according to Entrepreneur Magazine, 70% of all joint ventures fail. But that doesn't take into account the number that never get off the ground because partners are approached that way. So it's really closer to 90, 95% fail. And a lot of this, a lot of the reason for it is because of the so-called experts who teach companies how to set up joint ventures. Because that's the thing. They tell them, you know, just write a really great pitch, keep it short and tight and send it out and people will flock to you. Well, it doesn't happen that way. And I've talked, to a lot of different experts, um, and I said, you know, how many pitches do you you look into of companies you don't know who want you to sell their products? And most of them say zero, and some say 1% to 2%. So I started thinking about this, and again, I thought, what's wrong with this logic? What's the fault here? And the fault is that Most joint ventures and most strategic alliances get done because people know you. They either know you because you've worked with them or you've been referred to them. So you don't have that relationship uh, when you're approaching somebody with a joint venture. They don't know you, and that is the main reason. So if you can... So what I created was what I called a flip joint venture, where when you approach a company... You don't ask and you start by offering to sell their product first and you never ask for a reciprocal. So I'd approach you and I'd say, Hey, Steve, my name is Bob. You don't know me. Um, you know, I, I make blue jump ropes and uh, I've got a, a list. It's not really big. It's maybe 2000 people, but they really like the jump ropes. And you make that red and yellow double jump rope and, I know people really love it because you've you've got tens of thousands of customers and testimonials. Could I sell your red and yellow jump ropes to my list? I'd like to sell your stuff. So basically, you're just saying, I would like to sell your product. Would that be okay with you? Now, when you do that, you can get 99% buy-in from partners. Because who's going to say, no, I don't want free sales? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the credibility issue is gone. So if you do that and then you repeat that sale maybe two months later and you're making money for this expert, now when you approach them, you have a basis of a relationship. First of all, you were being of service to them first without asking for anything else. Also you're getting paid to build your relationship with them because you're making money selling their red and yellow jump rope to your blue jump rope customers. But the most important thing is when you approach them, you have the foundation of a relationship. Now, realistically, let's say you do this with 10 companies that you'd like to joint venture with. Probably no more than two to three of those or then what, what you do is after a couple months, you say, hey, Steve, this is Bob again. I've sold your red and yellow jump ropes a couple times and people really love them. We've made, a, we've made some good money together. I'm thinking that your audience would like my red, my blue jump rope just as much. Would you be willing to try selling it to your list? Well, now it, it's, it's a really different relationship because you're going to go, oh, yeah, this guy made me some money. Okay, I'll take a look at this. Now, realistically, if if you do this with 10 people, maybe only two or three will promote your product, but you're miles ahead of the zero who wouldn't, and the more people that promote it, the more you get known, the more they refer you to other partners, and it just builds that snowball effect that you always get, and... Again, it's a different form of collaboration where you're going to them and say, instead of me saying to you, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. It's what can I do for you? How can I collaborate by doing something for you that will make you money? And it's a you know, it's a when, when you hear it, it sounds like a minor difference and it isn't that huge a difference, but nobody does it that way. Nobody teaches people to do it that way. And and that's why 70 to 90% of joint ventures just fall flat on their face.
0: I'm sitting here grinning because it's the first time I've ever heard you describe that. But essentially what you've described is is exactly our approach to networking. Now, we don't use it in the joint venture framework. Most of our clients are service businesses. And so doing that kind of promotion sometimes doesn't work very well for a lot of reasons, including regulatory reasons. But they're always looking for a way to, to network and, and create connections and and build referral relationships. And what we advocate, in fact, I'm writing a book on this. In fact, I was at the coffee shop this morning, um, finishing a, a chapter. What we advocate is you go and and, uh, and you interview that person, much like what we're doing now, and you share sure. them with everybody that you know. And promote them and uh and what we found is that when you do that it's really amazing how easy it is to get them to want to turn around and help you in some really tangible way Um, yeah
1: funny how that works right yeah it's it's amazing i mean if if you look at it it doesn't matter whether you're generating leads whether you're starting a business whether you're looking for joint ventures whether you want to place a product whether you wanna license your intellectual property to others, there's almost always a collaboration that will get you there three to 10 times faster than doing it on your own. Um,
0: I I think it's such a brilliant approach and and thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. I I know um, you're working on a project right now around email. Can you talk a little bit about what what that is and and, uh, what you're hoping to
1: accomplish? it's the same type of collaboration where um, so let me just backtrack a little. So once I launched my copywriting business years and this goes back 25 years ago and I did it with that little ad and then people were referring me. But I wanted more traction and I wanted traction with people who hired copywriters. So what I did was I created a little interview series on how to write great copy. And I sent out a little letter inviting, you know, five or 10 good copywriters to be interviewed on how they write great copy. And at first I got very little interest. And then one day my phone rang, I picked it up, and it says, this is Bob Serling? And I said, yeah. And he said, this is Ted Nicholas. I'm calling you from Switzerland, where I live in the summer. I said, oh, hi, Ted. And he said, I got your letter and I loved it. I'd love to be in, do the interview. And he said, can we do it now? <laughs> I said, yeah. So I hooked up the equipment and we did it. And it was an hour interview. And it cost like about 90 bucks. For, uh, and, and he said, and Ted was smart. He said, call me back in 10 minutes. And, we'll get <laughs> and, and I called him back. So I paid the 90 bucks. Right. But I was happy to him. And then I sent uh, an email to everybody who hadn't responded. I said, hey, you know, I sent you this invitation. Haven't heard back from you. I just did an interview with Ted Nicholas, and it's really great. If you want to hear it, I'll send it to you, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, within a few days, five or six more people said, yeah, we'll do it, too. And um, so and I ended up with Gary Halbert and a couple other people, a guy who was one of the best. Press release writers at the time, and it was a really nice series. And I gave it away, and it attracted a lot of traffic, and then a lot of clients. So I've always used those type of collaborations over the years. And my latest is called 15 Minute Email Academy. And what I realized, and it didn't take any great breakthrough, but you know, you see all these people doing webinars and Facebook ads and. AdWords and different social media, and that's all great. But the object of all of it is to get people on your list so you can begin to uh, create a relationship with them through your emails and then eventually sell them something. So email is still, the most, to me, the most powerful tool for selling, for building a relationship and selling things once you get them on your list. And everybody wants to know how to write better email. So I decided to do a series called 15 Minute Email Academy where I would interview experts. And we take their best one of their top performing emails and we'd number the blocks. And I'd set up questions for each block and we'd bring it up on the screen, kind of like we're talking here today. And the email would be there and we'd go through it block by block, and they'd break down exactly how they wrote it so people could swipe the concepts and use them in their own copy. And um, fortunately, I was able to get a lot of really great experts to agree to be interviewed, and I'm looking forward to doing an interview with you uh, next week on one of your best-performing emails. Yeah, I can't wait. And and so um, that's the new series. It's been live for about three weeks and um the other thing about it is not only do you collaborate you meet new people i mean i've been around marketing for a lot of years i do know a lot of people but there's a ton of people i don't know but as so one of the questions i always ask the people i interview at the end of the e the enter- end of the interview when it's over and we've turned off the recorder is who are the people whose emails you read the most? You make sure you read when they land in your inbox. And they tell me, and then I can always get an, in, if I don't know those people, I can get an introduction through my network. So it's very collaborative. And then the other benefit, so it's just a benefit. It, it, it works as a three-way collaboration. The the uh, expert gets exposure to my list and then, through the various various publicity mechanisms we use to promote it, I get to present great expertise to my subscribers. And then the subscribers get all this expertise without having to pay a penny for it. So everybody benefits from it one way or another. Plus I learn a lot from it.
0: Yeah. It's an absolute brilliant strategy. Um, And, uh, Uh, in fact as i said i'm writing an entire book about exactly how to do this Uh, we call it the exponential network strategy and it because at the end of every interaction you're always asking for who else you know that it just grows and grows and grows and um you know i used to spend uh, a lot of my time out networking back when my first business we were a local consulting firm. And so I'd go to like the chamber mixers and I'd go to the, you know, the breakfasts and all of these different things and um, spend lots of time away from my family, unfortunately, uh, to go to these things. And, uh, you know, looking back, I now call that the hamster wheel of death. Yeah. Because I knew a guy, what got me off of it, I knew a sales guy. And he was pretty successful sales guy. And he'd been doing it for years and years and years, showing up at these things networking and all that, but it was just an incredibly bad use of time. And uh, what I love about the approach that you just described is that it's it's very time efficient, but it's also really, really effective. And at the end of the day, you create something that's pretty unique in the marketplace.
1: Yeah. Plus, you know, there's a couple other advantages. Like, personally, I'm, I mean, it doesn't come across in these kind of interviews, but I'm, I'm really pretty much of an introvert. And a lot of the marketing experts I know and, and, and even business leaders are pretty introverted. And I do lousy at networking events because I'm just not great at, at the meet and greet and, you know, hey, how's the weather? And that it, it just doesn't work for me. Plus, when you do it this way, you get to select who you network with instead of just going into a room and randomly hoping that there's somebody there that you can connect with. And my experience was I would talk with five or six people once I got beyond my awkwardness. And most of them were envelope salespeople trying to sell (laughs) me envelopes, you know? And uh, it, it wasn't, it's like you said, it just is not a practical use of time. So when you do it the way we've been discussing, it is very time efficient. You learn a lot. You make some great friendships and you get to select who you network with and who you don't.
0: Well, and, and what I have always found with it is it will give you access to people that you probably couldn't get access to otherwise. So the the real I think the real valuable connections are not the ones you're going to make at those sort of networking events because the the most valuable people that you can connect with generally aren't going to those. They got other things to do. But yeah. if you give them an opportunity to promote themselves and give them a platform for doing that, and it doesn't have to be a big platform. I mean, we've no, had it you know big. big um, Sorry about you know, that my assistant here. Is, that's okay. Uh, That's okay. Um, You know, but um, you you can get access to people. And I've even seen uh, some of our clients use it where they'll put a list of their prospects together, the companies they want to do business with, and they'll put the CEOs on there. And they'll go out and, and do something like this with those CEOs. And so instead of trying to beat the door down, you know, and get through the gatekeeper and all that stuff, they skate right through. And now they've got a friendship with this person.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's it's the same thing when I work with clients or I teach courses on uh, setting up joint ventures for your business. I think make a list of your top 20 candidates, the companies that you would most like to have sell your products and then send 10 of them an invitation for you to sell their products mm-hmm. with no reciprocal. Mm-hmm. And you know, the funny thing about it is I mean, it it helps to have a list because if you don't know, you know, who you want to network with, or who you want to joint venture with, or who you want to collaborate with on creating a product, and that's another great way to do things too. If you Absolutely. want to create great products, Thanks. if you don't have a list, it, it's like you know the old saying: if you don't have a roadmap, how are you going to get from California to Florida? You don't just point the car and hope to get there. Mm-hmm. So um and, and but it's like you said, you talk to clients, a lot of them don't have that list. Mm-hmm. they just well, I'd like to do some joint ventures, <laughs> okay, well, with right. you, I'm not sure, but I think they'd be really good for my business, yeah, <laughs> but- yeah,
0: there's always that conversation that uh, the the person who wants to go have the other one sell thinks it's just a perfect fit, but so so often we uh we forget that they're running a business over there. And you're not really factored into their plans at the moment. And so it doesn't really matter how great things are. You know, it's just, it's not in the plan right now.
1: Yeah. And, and it almost never will be if you don't have some way of establishing a relationship with them. And to me, to kind of, there was one other point I wanted to make when you, start that relationship by selling that company's product first when we're talking just about joint ventures here, three things happen. First of all, you're getting paid, which I think is the best part of it. You're getting paid to build the relationship and you can take some time to do it. But secondly, what the part that people overlook with joint ventures is that you're also being of great service to your customers or your clients. Because I was I was talking to a company that I'm helping set some joint ventures up with a couple weeks ago, and they sell sales training for people who are new to, to sales and they don't want to be high pressure. They want to sell in an authentic way. And I said, so what is the first product that most of the, or the first skill that most of them need once they take your training? Well, they need time management and we don't offer that. And I said, well, let's go out and look, do a search on time management training in quotation marks so we get the fewest number of results, right? So we go to Google, it gets 450,000 results returned. Mm-hmm. That is a problem for your customer or client. They don't know which of those 450,000 are good which are a scam, which are terrible, which are the best, which are the easiest to use. So if you, but you're going to know some of that because you're teaching sales training, you're going to know that. So if you do your diligence and find that for them, approach a company and say, hey, do you mind if I sell your time management product to my uh, clients who've just taken sales training? Of course, the time management company says, oh, that would be great. You're doing a great service to your client or customer as well. You're helping them cut through this massive ball of confusion that's created by so many different products being available these days that you just go numb trying to figure out what's good and and what isn't. So it's a collaboration in a number of directions, and it, it benefits everybody involved. And I think a lot of... People don't look at how much a quality joint venture benefits their customers and clients.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree. Bob, I know we've talked about a ton of things today. Uh, where's the best place for people to go to, to find out more about what you're doing and connect with you?
1: Sure. Well, the the easiest thing to do is just go to my website, 15minuteemail.com, and you can spell that with either the number 15 or Word 15. Both of them will take you there. So it's 15minuteemail.com. You can see all those email interviews we talked about. They're free, there's no opt in required. And then they're on that same page. There's uh, a a free ebook called The New Rules of Joint Ventures. You do have to opt in for that. Uh, And it breaks down the entire process we talked about step by step in much more detail. So um, you can get two things done. You can Learn how to write better email and find out, uh, you know, whether JVs are a great fit for your business at on the same place.
0: That's brilliant. And depending on where, when you go there, you might see uh, one of my emails go under the microscope with with Bob and uh, should be Absolutely. a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely. They will in, in about a week or so.
0: Well, um, everybody, go check out 15, 15minuteemails.com and we'll link that in the show notes. Bob, thanks so much for being here. Great Just to- uh, One,
1: one yes. quick, it's 15minuteemail.com. 15minuteemail, no, no S yeah, at the yeah. end,
0: 15minuteemail.com. Thanks for correcting great. me on that. <laughs> no uh, problem. And uh, great, great to connect with you. Thanks for being here and we'll talk real soon.
1: My pleasure, Steve. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net
1: forward slash iTunes.